uh, I always talk in terms of trends of the future. If you, if you carry on the way you are now, you're likely to encounter these types of situations. Uh, but um, I, I always say that the future isn't fixed. To Mysterious World. This is Stuart Baum coming to you from Hong Kong. And today we have an interview with mentalist, hypnotherapist, man of mystery, and prolific author Richard Webster. Stay tuned. And welcome, beings from around the world. This is Stuart Palm again. Uh, it's been an interesting month. It's been a good time. I'm sorry I haven't posted another interview for a little while. I wanted to make sure and get this interview with Richard, who I have deep admiration for, and uh, I'm fascinated by the guy. He's so prolific. Over a hundred books he's written. Uh, there's about forty you can even get on the iTunes store. I was just looking at that. And I just uh, purchased his Pendulum book, which I have not read uh, and feel I should definitely uh, peruse before completing my own book on Pendulum work and Pendulum readings, uh, which I will tell you about once I have it available. I'm not sure exactly where which uh, printer I'm using yet, but um, it'll be a small book on using Pendulums. And if you've not used a Pendulum Go and start. It's an amazing tool to have. Uh, you'll learn about yourself and uh, the mysteries that exist in your world, and you'll learn about what you really believe. That's a way to use it. Other things going on in my life lately. Um, I have changed, rebranded, refocused my hypnotherapy practice and website. The website is www mindscapenow.com. You can check it out. There's a little video there at the beginning. I created the focus now on mindscaping or mindscape, which is the brainchild of the amazing hypnotist and um, teacher from Canada, Mike Mandel. And if you don't know Mike Mandel, he's a great way to get into hypnosis. He has a few different um courses you can take through his online uh, academy, the Mike Mandel Hypnosis Academy. You can also go up to Toronto and take courses with him if that's something that you're looking into. He also teaches graphology and NLP and other things. Uh, smart guy, fun to listen to. He has a podcast as well. Uh, check his podcast out. Uh, uh, Brain Software is, uh, is what they call it. Anyway, Mindscaping is something that he says he discovered. He invented it, but he says he discovered. And it's a process of visualization that you can even do over the internet that allows people to make very positive changes in their lives. And I'm in love with it. And I've been using it in my own practice as well as hypnotherapy. And it's a good way to get into that world if you've never experienced it before. If you've never in, been in contact with your own unconscious mind, it is a wonderful way to uh, sort of test the waters, you know, get your feet into the pool before you jump in. Um, and if you're one of those people who likes to jump head in first and to the deep, by all means, we can do that too. 
Otherwise, uh, I've been really into sacred geometry lately. I, I uh, talk about it a bit in the interview with Richard. Um, but uh, the the I've been seeing everywhere uh, the flower of life. I used it um, on a few things that I made. It's, it's on the front page of the Mysterious World podcast website page, um, just subtly there, not mentioned to it, and just sitting there as a, a beacon of life. Uh, so I was, I was been studying into the origins of it and how it's everywhere in the world. And I found this great video series and they get a little bit, uh, into some, some alien talk and things like that, which is fascinating as well. Um, but the core of their videos is very easy to follow and very informative for just about anybody. Uh, so look at, uh, YouTube for spirit science and these, uh, group of videos that they've created on the flower of life and many other sacred geometry um, topics. Also, uh, in the last month, um, I met another hypnotist in Korea. I went and saw Seoul, Korea. It was a beautiful place. Uh, I didn't get into much of the mystery of Seoul. I, I wanted to delve into it further. I just didn't have uh, a lot of time to visit things like temples or or um, that side of their world. I when I came back from, from the uh, trip, I went to this very interesting workshop with a guy named Richard Wicks, who does a thing that he calls Wicks Way, which is a metaphysical practice that allows you to, in yourself and others, reduce pain almost instantly. It's very intriguing. I talked about it for a little bit with, um, with Richard Webster, but uh, if it's something that uh, you'd be intrigued by and you're in Hong Kong, I would look him up. Look up Richard Wicks. He's an interesting guy and uh, was introduced to me by Pete Gable, who I have referenced before, another hypnotherapist in town, but I didn't uh, give him a shout out before. Sorry, Peter. Uh, but uh, <laughs> here you go. Now you're getting your shout out. Uh, Peters is a guy who I, I've sat with and um, chatted uh, about on numerous occasions now, uh, with uh, t- chatted about uh, hypnotherapy and now getting into more um, obscure and esoteric topics. Interestingly enough, Peter and I had a very good psychic connection and were able to share thoughts, um, uh, no joke, on a, a very clear level. Just sitting in the uh, the FCC lounge, we sat there and. Um, I thought of numbers and he was pretty close or, or dead on and the other way around as well. It was, he was thinking of things and I was getting his thoughts. Uh, and we were just using our own sense of concentration and our own ability to trance out at the moment. And I have to say, if that's something you'd be into, uh, try it, sit down with a friend, um, write down a single number, let both of you get into a relaxed state to focus on your breath for a bit. Do whatever you need to do to get yourself as unconsciously involved as possible or subconsciously keyed in and uh, see what you visualize, see what you feel here, whatever it is that works, try it. I think a lot of people don't realize that they have this power because they've never really tried to open and broaden it inside themselves. So uh, I'm rambling on again, but that's what this little beginning bit is about. 
So I know you're going to enjoy my interview with Richard Webster. And uh, when it's over, go and search his name on Google or on a bookstore. And uh, whatever topic on the mystery arts you are interested in, he has a book on it. So go check those out and uh, get your own copy of a Richard Webster book. And here is my interview with the one and only Richard Webster. Living in the future is interesting, isn't it? It is. Yes, yes. You and I have the same problem, don't we? It's not, actually, it's not a problem. It's good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's delightful. I think. Yes. Great. Uh, I've written a number of books on feng shui, and um, uh, I got most of my information in Hong Kong. All right. Did you study with someone in particular? Yes. Yes. Uh, an elderly man called Tai Lao. He's he's dead. He di- died many years ago. Okay. But uh, but he he was wonderful. I would he charged me. Would. He charged me for every bit of information I got. Well, of course, he did. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be a Hong Kong feng shui master if he didn't. No, no, that's exactly right. I have a friend um, who is a feng shui master. Yes. And her father is a feng shui master, so she's carrying on a family tradition. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I will have her on to talk about what all that means and. I, I've read a little bit and know a little bit, but it's uh, yes. it, to me, it's just so much. There's so much there. Oh, yes. There's a huge amount to learn. Yes. And the Chinese perspective on on the performance that I do, generally the easiest thing to make the connection is to say it's like feng shui. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I can understand that. Yes, yes. It's a very good way of describing it. You're working on a book. Yes. The, the, the book, it's a huge book. It's going to be 200,000 words or so. So it's about, the, about the size of three and a half or four of my normal books. Wow. And it's going to be the complete book of divination. So it's covering, you know, astrology plus all sorts of, you know, other other. Other ologies, <laughs> all, all the ologies, right? Yes, and, and and you just put out a book. You just put out uh, something on ritual. Yes, rituals for beginners. Yes, yes, it's the most recent one. Um, what you yourself do? You use ritual in your own sort of living day to day, or is it more of a thing that you study? Um, it's it's both. I do, I do use rituals in a day, on a maybe not in a day to day basis, but certainly on a weekly basis. Right. Uh, of, co- of course, even how you get out of bed and get dressed in the morning is a ritual of sorts. Nice. Yes. But but um, I, do, I do have organised rituals for, for you know for different mainly spiritual purposes really, and uh, I do those. Maybe well, right now I'm not doing them as frequently as I should because I'm too busy on this book. Right. The book takes everything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does, unfortunately. I, I become a hermit oh. while, while I'm writing. That can be a nice 
period, I think, though, in a, in a creative process to be able to become a hermit. I was impressed when when um, we first when I first started talking to you about getting you on for the podcast, when you told me that you turn off your phone and you turn off your computer and you turn off everything so you can write, which makes perfect sense to me. But I think yes. a lot of people today have a hard time doing that. And I wonder how much that is affecting the younger generation's ability to be creative and to have that kind of process if they've never experienced being con- disconnected. Because I imagine there are people today who've never been disconnected. Yes, there must be a lot of them, I, w- I would think. Uh, I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I, lo- I love being disconnected. <laughs> yes, I do too. Well, I, I, I quite enjoy social media and and um, and the addiction that is that yes. world. Uh, but at the same time, I do love to be completely detached from all of it and just draw or just write and finding those states is kind of difficult. It can be. I find starting a book is particularly difficult because I've got to ease out of all of those things. And uh, and uh, even my family find it a little bit hard. Uh, I remember many, many years ago when my oldest son was about 12 years old, we were all sitting around the dining room table having lunch. And uh, he said, Daddy's writing a book. And it was true. I was there with them, but I wasn't. I was in my head writing the book. <laughs> so it's taught me that I do have to get out of it as, as well. Right. Well, it's good to hear that he understood that that state was what was going on. Yes, that's right. I I have had many friends who, who um, it's hard to explain that sometimes I'm kind of not there. <laughs> yes, yes. Because you're off in your head doing whatever it is that you're working on. And yes. it, it can be uh, annoying for a significant other as well. Oh, that does happen. Yes, it definitely happens. And it can happen in funny places too. I, I belong to a Kiwanis club and I was there last night and my job was to thank the guest speaker. But halfway through her talk, I just went into my own little, little world and what I was right. <laughs> So then I had to stand up and give a talk, you know, a little thank you. And uh, I'd missed a big chunk of her speech. Oh, and it, oh. wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It just happened. Now, did, did, you, did you have to hide it? No, 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 not, not really. <laughs> I was, I, I'd, I'd heard enough, I think, to be able to give it. Right. right. I was only saying thank you, really. To jump in to there. To jump in there. Yes. Um, so di- divination is the, is the topic of your new book. Um, that's, yes. That's a fascinating topic to me um, because when I have people come for readings and, yes. and or ask if I do readings or that sort of thing, and I do, and I quite enjoy them, mm-hmm. um, generally, if they've had it done before, the focal point of what they remember is either how accurate or inaccurate that person was about what the future was going to be. Yes. And I I normally tell them, okay, that's great. Or, well, yeah, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what you went to before. Uh, But personally, I believe the future is always changing. So, you know, I can't tell you specifically what the future will be because it's not happened. Yes. And it can change. Um, However, the, the, the general perspective on having a reading done and, and fortune telling and, 
and divination from people who are not in that world is that it is telling the future. And it seems yes. to be a very specific focus of what's the future? I want to know the future. This person's going to be able to tell me in some way. Um, yes. I, I'm curious what your perspective is on that. Well, I think that would be particularly the case where you're living. Yeah. It probably isn't so much here. Uh, I always talk in terms of trends of the future. If you, if you carry on the way you are now, you're likely to encounter these types right. of situations. Uh, but um, I, I always say that the future isn't fixed. Uh, I, I use in a, in a little story that Carl Heron told me many, many years ago, and he said it's, um, I don't know if it's true or not, he said it's a Bantu system of um, fortune-telling, and he said uh, uh, life is, is like like a fan and uh, the huntsman wakes up in the morning and he goes out looking for food for dinner. On his way home, he can come along either edge of the fan to get home. Uh, one way gets him home safely. The other way, he meets a lion. And he's got to make the choice as to which way he's going to go without knowing all the information ahead of time. And people nod their heads sagely and agree with, agree with that. And it sort of gets me out of the situation a little bit. If, if people want specifics. You said he, he goes out, it sounded like, and I, I think I misunderstood, um, the huntsman goes out yes. for a fan? For a well, well it, it, his, his home is at the base of the fan, and the fan, it's like, a, like it's actually a leaf that is fan-shaped. Okay. So he goes out hunting, and when he comes home, he can go along either edge of the fan, of the leaf to end up okay. back at the stalk. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I use my hands to tell the story as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the shape of a fan. That's I was, yes. I was trying to hold on to that idea. And I'm not sure I understand what he means by a fan. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that can be um, communicated through storytelling of that sort. Oh, most definitely. Yes. So much more. Whenever, whenever I give a talk, I always try to include stories because people listen to those. So they get they can drift off into their own little world when right, you're going and talking right. about facts and things, but give them a story and they'll all listen. Yeah. I, I've, um, in studying uh, hypnosis and, and hypnotherapy, um, I am constantly amazed at how deeply affected a metaphor can be mm. on a yes. person. Yes, you can change people's lives. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And mm. The more that I, more deeply I get into it, um, and practice it, yes, the more I understand what all the old uh, religions and spiritual practices are stemming from. And two things happen yes. in my perception of reality. One is that a lot of those old um, mystery arts and and ancient practices are hypnosis to a Ooh, degree. Yes. Mm-hmm. And however, there is something spiritual that happens during the hypnotic process that I don't know how to describe um, outside of that it's that there's something more going on there than just language and influence. Yes. And I don't know what to call it, but the two things become more and more intertwined in, in my understanding. Yes. Um, and I don't really know what other than spiritual practice. Uh, it's, there's such a wide branch of 
possibility there um, of what it could be. But but they all seem to relate, and they all seem to be more valid the the older I get. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, you obviously get more interesting hypnotherapy clients than I do. Most most of mine want to stop smoking or lose weight. And, well, yeah, uh, those are the those are the two big ones. Um, I, but well, they, I, are, they are for you as well. Yes, good. I, I get I get people who blur the line, and I think it's because mm-hmm. I have two identities. I have one side that that is uh, my world as a performer, and um, you know performing a mentalist and and i do hypnosis in my show as well um and then the other side is is the hypnotherapy practice and i occasionally get people who come through the mentalism you know identity first and then learn that i do this other thing and they come for the other thing and so i've had clients who they sit down they say well i thought i should try hypnotherapy for for what I'm what I'm looking for because I've been to a psychic and I've been to a reiki you know and they so they've it's like they're <laughs> they're going through the uh what did John Stetson call it the metaphysical buffet uh, yes that's and they've right. and they've come to uh they've come to hypnotherapy now because they're like well this seems like it has some sort of scientific basis or this you know, yes. this seems more, it has something than this other stuff. And it's interesting to me because then, then it's like, well, yeah, I guess they all do relate. And that does make sense. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, I think it does. So you probably every now and again have what I, what I always used to have. People come for one thing and then they discover you something else. So they come for that as well. Oh, yeah. And then something else. I've even had people come to me, uh, see me first as a children's entertainer, mm-hmm. and uh, then they then they follow me through and discover, oh, he does palm readings, oh, he does hypnotherapy, and uh, then they might even book me for a hypnotism show for their company. You know, it's quite extraordinary. I, I love that, I, and I think that's a great perspective to have on, in, in terms of uh, business and and relating to people is being open to those kinds of changes because I have. I have started exactly as you say, and you know, in uh, a social event with kids, and I do mm-hmm. some simple little thing like grab something off the table and make it disappear and pull it out of the kid's ear or whatever, and that yes. starts the conversation into something that ends up being a company event, with a hypnosis show or whatever. You know, I, yes. I being open to those possibilities and the fact that it all relates uh, is very important. I think. Oh, I think so too. Also, I've, I really need variety. I, I just couldn't do one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And also, it does it does help from an income point of view because if hypnotism shows are quiet, something else might be busy. So uh, everything all balances out and I'm kept busy all the time. That's great. It's good that you can keep it all, all the balls going. <laughs> well, I, I don't so much anymore. I'm mainly a full-time writer. Right. Now, nowadays, and that's purely because it's just taken over and it's become... I've been very, very fortunate. My books have sold well, and um, there's a demand for them. And uh, I get my variety out of writing books on different topics. Yeah, is it's a um, sort of a family tradition of a sense, isn't it? Isn't your father a writer as well? Is that right? No, no, my mother was. Your mother's she, a writer. Yes, uh, she was a journalist before she got married. Her mm. father spent his whole life trying to get published and never quite made it. And her 
great aunt was Australia's biggest selling author at the end of the 19th century. So it's come through on my mother's side of the family. And my three, my three children are all good at writing. And um, uh, one of them had a, a blog for many years on English Premiership football, but he's got too busy with his real job now, so he's had to give that up. I've got a son who's uh, writing a, a thriller, and my daughter does a um, food blog. So they're all using their writing skills in different ways. That must be nice for you. Yes. It's funny how things come down through families, isn't it? You can say it. Yeah, my, my background, I studied fine art, and my mother is a painter. Yes. And my father studied it a bit, but uh, he's in planning and development. So his, his study was in architecture, so that side of it. But his yes. father was also a painter, so there's a, a lot of visual art. No, no yes. real performers in my family, but but um, the visual art study has greatly affected everything that I do, and yes. uh, and the way that I sort of I think it it becomes the way you think. Almost, oh, oh, most definitely. Yes. I can't think except kind of like a painter thinks, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you yes. think as a writer thinks. Yes, I guess, I guess so. I haven't actually analyzed it. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I relate back to shape and color and, and, and those kind of relationships. Yes. And, uh, and you, you would need to live in uh, an aesthetic world, I would think. Yeah. You, well, I'm, you quite, I'm quite cluttered, but there's an, aesthetic, uh, there's an aesthetic world there, too. Yes, yes. My wife's <coughs> learned how to uh, get me to solve my clutter problem. She... she Says uh, about once a year, she says, um, "Do you think the chi is flowing smoothly?" And, oh, is flowing good. Smoothly. and of course, then I get busy and <laughs> tidy everything up for a bit. Oh, good, good, good thinking. Get it's the, the only bit of feng shui she knows. Get the chi flowing smoothly. Although yes. sometimes uh, the joke here seems to be, um, if you let the feng shui master design your apartment, you might end up with the toilet in the kitchen. So- <laughs> <laughs> Because well, in Hong, Kong, in Hong Kong, it gets even more difficult because you, because of the flying star, you, you need to keep changing apartments almost every year to um, uh, keep all the directions and po- positive, keep yourself in a positive state. What's up with what that means, the flying star? Um, it's, it's just one of the systems of, of, uh, of feng, feng shui. It's, it's how the, the stars and planets move so that what is a lucky direction one year is not quite so fortunate the next year and the year after that it might actually be a bit negative oh wow I didn't realize that the year that it is currently uh, affects that situation I don't know a whole lot about it in that sense yes yes, it can, it can do I, I personally do not pay great attention to it but it's a great source of business for feng shui practitioners <laughs> around the world oh yeah, oh, yeah. I have studied a little bit in the sense that a certain direction, depending on when you're born, is more auspicious than another direction. And yes, that's true. Yes. And it's different for different people. And in studying it, I I think that we found that my wife's direction and my direction are opposite. So if we're at a table across from each other, <laughs> we're okay. <laughs> I did not realize that it changed, that it's a, a yearly uh, well, maybe I, yes, uh, yes. So the, the, one, the ones change. you're born with is your main, is your main chart, but um, there are there are changes every year. Right. So if you want to keep your business moving, you you as a feng shui master focus on the one that moves. Fortunately, there are remedies that you can uh, you can you can use. 
and uh, feng shui practitioners can provide those for you as well. Yes. Um, Is it in feng shui that there in Hong Kong there are a lot of buildings, large, large, huge buildings with big holes in the middle of them. So they mm-hmm. build them with a with a with a big, you know, two floor sort of window in the construction. Yes. And the way that's been described to me is that that's so the dragons can fly through. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yes, which I I love that idea. And and I'm wondering if you know, does that stem from feng shui? Yes, it does. Yes. So the concept of a dragon in feng shui, there's a a dragon and a tiger, and you need to keep them in harmony with 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 each other, and uh, that's why the buildings. Actually, I find the buildings in Hong Kong absolutely fascinating. They are, yeah, because because they're all built on feng shui principles, and uh, you've got. I'm not sure which bank it is. The HSBC, I think, which has got something that looks like a cannon pointing at another building, which is also houses a bank. Yes. So it's, it's like an insult. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's like a crane on the top, and it points, yeah, that's it right. points that's what at it the Bank like. of China. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, there are lots of, lots of things like that. In, in, in Singapore, there's the most wonderful one of, of two banks, uh, both on the river, and uh, one erected a huge uh, sculpture of a very round chubby bird and uh, it, lo- lovely sculpture until you actually look at it and you see that the bird's rear end is pointing directly at the opposition bank so it's uh, <laughs> so it's uh, morning, morning. more f- more fun than the taxi looks <laughs> that's funny yeah. um how did you get started in all this uh esoteric um, world Oh, it, it began actually when I was very when I was nine years old. Uh, prior to that, I didn't know anything. We, we, my parents, we moved house at that time, and just up the road were uh, a couple who I, I became friends with mainly because she was such a good cook, and I used to go and sit in there <laughs> in there in, in a room which was a library, which for, for me was exciting. I'd never been in a never been in a house that had a library before, and uh, she was a good cook, so I'd eat her cake and biscuits and. Uh, look around at all the bookshelves, and uh, I noticed there are a whole lot of books on palmistry, and I had no idea what it was. So I asked, and her husband was a palm reader. It was illegal. Any form of divination was illegal in New Zealand back in those days because hmm. we had some statute from England, uh, some witchcraft law or something. Right. Right. And uh, so he had to do it very, very quietly. But... Uh, yeah, I think he was amused at my interest and he taught, taught me a few things and I used to go to school and look at the other kids' hands. didn't mean anything at all until puberty hit and I discovered what an amazing way it was to meet girls. You know, it was <laughs> incredible. I, w- I was shy and um, I could be at a party somewhere and just mention palmistry and instantly all the girls in the room were surrounding me. So it was uh, a great way of meeting people. And uh, so I started taking it a little bit more seriously. Then I went to the UK in the 1960s, and uh, London was an absolute hotbed of palmistry at that time. There was uh, a monthly magazine on the subject. There were some um, uh, different societies putting on good lectures. So I learned a lot from that. And I also discovered I was earning £15 a week working in a, a bookstore, and I could earn 80 pounds a week in my spare time reading palms. So um, 
that, that changed my standard of living the whole time I was in the UK. Nice, nice. So, uh, so it sort of grew from there. On my way home, I went to India hoping to learn more, but I ended up teaching more than learning mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. all the palmists in India, which is apparently the traditional home of palmistry, they all learned from old English textbooks. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> About the only thing I learned was that you could tell link, at length of life using um, a hair from the tail of an elephant. But that's not very practical or useful to me here in New Zealand. No, it's hard to no. find elephants, isn't it? Yes, yes. What, what is that story, the tail of the elephant? I've never heard that one. Oh, it's, it's just um, you don't need the tail of an elephant. It's, it's just uh, using a, you can just use a piece of thread. It's, it's, it's to me- measure um uh, uh, where, where your lifeline and uh, heartline? Am, am I getting too complex here? No, it's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm you, you've it. got to measure the distance between between them, or the length of time they join before the lifeline moves up around the hand, and then you make a little knot on the on the thread, and then you can go per- periods of time, seven year periods of time, all the all the way up the lifeline, which according to the Indian system of palmistry denotes length of life. Um, of course, it, do, it doesn't. Um, the hand doesn't really show length of life because your hand changes as, as you change. Mm. So, so um, lots and lots of children, for instance, have fairly short lifelines, but by the time they reach the age of 18 or 19, it's turned into a full-length full one. Right. right. And uh, even problems that you can see on that, you need to look at other areas of the palm. You can't base the whole thing just on the on the lifeline but the air, the indian system is much more fatalistic than um, than it is in the in the western world that makes sense yeah. um my my I'm, I'm as you're describing this i'm looking at my hand and uh, <laughs> my heart line and lifeline don't touch at all it don't even come close oh don't they? That, that that's good that means you're out, outgoing and sociable all right it, it also <laughs> means you'll get more outspoken the older you become well that's true uh, <laughs> being that you have a book coming out and you have another book that just came out, is there anything you want to talk about in terms of, you know, that would help the listeners who might have interest in your work to uh, key interest or something you want to focus on? The book before this most recent one was 360 way, 365 Ways to Attract Good Luck. And uh, that's been a very popular, popular book. Mm. And it's interesting that um, that books that relate to good luck and also motivation sell very very well in the in the East. Um, I, I had a book called Seven Secrets to Success, and uh, it it went to an auction when they were for the the Japanese translation rights, and uh, I got a huge amount of money for it because it was only a short book, and uh, the Japanese company published the book, and then they immediately went out of business. They obviously hadn't read the book, <laughs> and uh, and uh, my publisher was able to sell the rights again to uh, the second the second bidder. So uh, that was one of my most lucrative books books ever, purely because of that. And also, it was sold. Oh, it was sold all over. And in China, it was used as a, as a school text, which was really really nice uh, because it was a book on basically how to motivate motivate yourself. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, that's got me off subject a little, a little bit, but no, uh, I great. guess I guess it relates to to luck in sure. a way because I believe we make our own luck by our outlook and um, attitude and what what you know what we actually do. Uh, I've had a, a lady 
many, many years ago, who used to come for me for palm readings. Mm -hmm. And she was always bemoaning the fact that she could never find a man. All she wanted was to meet a man. And it turned out that she never left the house. So uh, her chances of meeting them were very, very slim. Right. Uh, nowadays, of course, I, I guess most people meet their, meet people that way. They just go online, don't they? And, I, and do it. I don't believe it. I, I, I think it's, it sounds awful to me. I think that uh, the online dating, at, at best, is probably like uh, like reading the menu before you go to the restaurant and when you're at home on the online. Yes, yes. Well, you still have to go out and meet the person and and experience it in real time in real life. Yes, I don't think it's very common that what happens is you spur the relationship on online and then continue it in real life. I think that has still has to sort of start physically. Uh, and yes, I think a lot of people, a lot of people doing online dating don't realize that. And I, because I've, I've a lot of people who come for one reason or another, often hypnotherapy for, because they, they don't feel they're outgoing enough or they better at, at meeting people. And you're, what you're talking yes. about is, very much the case they just don't go out enough yes yes no it's they're not work they're not working on a book no, no that's, that's right no it's very very sad but, very um, sad very sad is is uh something that my perception and understanding of has changed greatly since moving to asia i can imagine yes uh, it used to be something that in in america it's thought of as you know lumped into superstition the concept of luck. But here it is a tangible thing. It is part of every day. It is part of life. And there are times when, when you're more lucky than other times. And, and it's accepted that if things are down, uh, you can say, yes, I am not lucky right now. And people yes, understand yes, that. That's right. Okay. Well, that happens. Do, are you wearing lucky charms and things now? Um, I, I have, yeah, I do. Yes. I have, um, I do, I do too. I have uh, different things that I I put that belief into. Yes. Um, I have some the of the bead, beaded bracelets that I find to be lucky. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I and actually think part of that is that when I'm wearing them, when I'm wearing the Buddhist beaded, uh, they're like rosary. I don't actually know the, the term that would be the correct term to use for them. Uh, but you get them at a, yes. at a temple and, and so on and so forth. Uh, when I'm wearing them, people who understand that perspective yes. and mode of thinking recognize, ah, he also understands that perspective and mode of thinking. And it's in a rapport, so instant rapport. It might even be just unconscious rapport builder. But yes. people see it and notice it and go, okay, I, you know, he gets it. Yes, you're on the same wavelength instantly. Right. But you also, it, wearing them does make you lucky because you put it on and you think, well, this is my lucky whatever. Exactly. And because you've got it, you, you feel lucky. And therefore, you are lucky. You become lucky. I've, I've got um, a thing I wear around my, my neck. It's um, a little greenstone pendant, which um, I wear mainly because um, a, a young, young friend of mine from Germany lived in New Zealand for a year, and I helped him with his magic and mentalism and he went back to Germany he came back a few years later just to visit friends 
And while he was there, he learnt a little bit about making greenstone objects from a friend of his who was doing it. And he gave it to me. So uh, I've worn it ever since as a lucky charm. But it also gives me an instant pendulum if I need one anywhere sure. I happen to be. So it serves a dual purpose. Yeah. Um, I am currently working on a book on pendulum reading. Oh, are you? Good. Yeah. I'm sure you've written one at some point. I have uh, Pendulum Magic for Beginners. And uh, I've written one for the psychic community, the uh, mentalism community as well. Mm. This one, the one I'm writing is something to sell um, at the end of shows, sort of back of room, as they call it. Yes. Uh, And it's just all the things that I've found and and, uh, enjoy in the use of a pendulum, which I use every day. Yes. <laughs> At some point, I always have one in my pocket. Yes. Or 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 something around my neck to use, because it's just such a great way to be in contact with with whatever that is, the driving force of the pendulum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I, I have different beliefs on what it might be, um, which which is funny because that's another thing that's been that's been changing, um, for me as I do this podcast even and talk to more people about. Uh, the mysteries in their world is at one point I went the scientific route and thought, yeah, okay. The pendulum is my subconscious. Yes. And it is giving me a readout on my subconscious thought and, and what I really feel or believe on a situation. And so, you know, that's great. I have this little antenna for my unconscious. Yes. But the more I do it, the more I see that my subconscious is able to pick up on other things. Yes. And there is a bigger component of that that is possibly the collective unconscious. Or yes. Yes. maybe maybe I am picking up on a spirit that's able to tell me something. Or maybe I am picking up on the energy or the luck of the situation. And I can't consciously do that. I can't consciously say I'm thinking of that, but unconsciously I am more open and and more able to take in and and interpret that. Yes. Which makes it so that um, I now believe any of the interpretations of uh, what is the driving force of a pendulum can be valid. Whereas at one point I would say, well, yeah, it's really just your subconscious. I now say, yes, it is spirits. Yes. It is God. It is angels. It is whatever you feel is uh, affecting and driving your unconscious to make that, you know, thing swing in whatever direction it's swinging. Yes, yes, yes. I, 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 I sort of normally go on the higher consciousness. Higher consciousness. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry, you called it, what did you call it? The collective uh, unconscious. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Mm. I, I went young in. Yeah. Um, because of who I, the people that I studied with uh, training for um, hypnotherapy, yes, I, I got in the habit of using the term unconscious mm-hmm. yes. instead of subconscious. Yes. And the reason being on that is that subconscious gives you an image of it being under something. That's right. It does. And then the, there's, a deeper un, there's a deeper subconscious level in, in that model as well. Yes. 
And it's much easier um, to deal in a duality than it is a thing that's under a thing. So it's just your, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, your, your conscious versus your unconscious makes it simpler to understand. Yes. Is the, is the idea there. Whereas I, I find both words, you know, are fine. Uh, but I like this idea of your higher self. Yes. But where does that, where does that one come from? Um, I'm not sure it comes from originally, but, but the, the Huna, the Huna people in um, Hawaii um, do that. They, they, they achieve their goals by, they've got, they've got three, I'm not sure if they call it, I'm not quite sure what they call it, whether it's, uh, that they, they, if they want to, if they want something, maybe they want a healing or they want something, they they will fill themselves up with um, prana or you know breath air mm-hmm. to to overflowing. They they visualize this, and then they they gather it up and they send it down to their stomach, which is their lower lower self, and um, then they visualize wh- what they want in their in their in their head, and up above them is uh, the higher self, and then they, they visualize it shooting from the stomach right through and out the top of the head up to the high consciousness, and uh, then they believe absolutely that it will happen. And uh, as, a, as a rule, it does, because uh, they've sent enough force and energy with it and total belief, which which is essential. That's great. Yes, it's something I've used myself quite a few times with um, with, with, ha- with success. System. It's something I should be doing more often. This is a Hawaiian thing? Yes. Where would you find more of this information on this? Uh, there, there are books on the subject. Huna, H-U-N-A. Okay, Huna. Great, yes. I will look into that. I like that. I just did a, um, a workshop with a guy in Hong Kong... Uh, Richard Wicks, and he has a thing that he calls Wicks Way that's based on a form of Tai Chi that doesn't it doesn't need movement. I see. And um, and it's it's for he uses it for getting rid of pain in others, um, but he also strongly recommends using it on yourself. And what he does is very similar to what you just described, um, but. First, he he visualizes a a wave, yes, um, in the sense that everything in ener- is energy and all energy works in waves. Yes, so he visualizes a wave and he, he visualizes the the wave that would be whatever the pain is, and he gives it a number. So, uh, like you would at a doctor, you go, "Oh, how how bad does it hurt between one and yes. two? Oh, it's a six, mm-hmm. right? So he visualizes the wave. And then he visualizes uh, three points in in the universe. It doesn't matter where, but just three three points of I don't know three points like yes. three dots on your desk, three three objects in the room, three things, and he visualizes them going back to the beginning of all things, as though you're sending them back. Yes, and in a way, I think that's very similar to putting it into your higher self yes and then he breathes and and he his his moment of breath he sees his unconditional love ah yes he describes it yes and um and 
I don't. It's. It sounds. It's hard to describe, but I've watched him sit in a room and do this with someone, and um, and they had a a, a, a pain in, in their knee, you know, some yes. painful trouble, and he sat with them and he did this, and they started out at you know seven, and he said okay, and a couple seconds later he said how's it now, and they went um, well it's like a six maybe huh? five yes. five, and they went and he just kept doing it until they went down to one or a two and. And it's like, okay, well, that's amazing. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then, I, I, I don't know if he, it would be okay for me to be describing his, his process on this podcast, but <laughs> I have to ask him. Um, but, but it fascinated me. And it fascinated me that uh, right, right as you were talking about Hana, that I was like, okay, that sounds like the same or very similar. It, it, sounds, it, sounds, it sounds similar. Yes, that's, that's good. Yeah. It's wonderful. I'm just going to break in here because I was able to get Richard Wicks to have an interview. I did ask him if it was okay to include the basic idea of Wicks' way in this podcast. And he thought the best uh, thing to do was to do an episode. And I I love that he... uh, was into that, and so we recorded that today. I had a one, wonderful conversation with Richard Wicks, and we talked about Wicks' way, and he describes it in detail in that conversation. So you can look forward to that. Which brings us to the mystery of the week. This week's mystery of the week comes from uh, Japan. In uh, both South America and Japan, the last couple of weeks, there have been huge earthquakes, and my heart goes out to all of the people who are affected by that. Somewhere around two hours away from the Japanese earthquakes, there was a strange foam that appeared. Um, the foam was uh, like, it looks like a new snow lying in on the ground when you look at the videos and the photos. This was in uh, Fukuoka, I believe, and if I've bastardized that pronunciation, I'm very sorry, my Japanese friends. Fukuoka, Fukuoka, I believe that's right. Japan. Um, after the earthquake, they they think maybe some kind of pipe burst and it caused this foam, but it's an unexplained mystery of why this foam just filled the streets of this city. And if you know why it is that the foam filled the streets of the city, you can uh, let us know and solve that mystery. Uh, strange things are happening around the world with the earthquakes. I'm hoping that that uh, that the bursts that have happened that the uh, plate tectonics have settled down and we can all focus our intentions on uh, that kind of ecology figuring itself out. Um, So hopefully we've seen the end of that. We don't exactly know, you know, why these things happened. Uh, uh, They can look up some uh, interviews with seismologists uh, who are worried about a even greater quake uh, happening. And I I just feel like every time there are quakes that that's in a worry that somebody has. So hopefully that is an empty worry and uh, hopefully we are going to be okay. I mean, of course, uh, <laughs> as all things are waves, at some point there are going to be more earthquakes. So um, let's just hope that they are not um, so bad that they create huge disasters. We can live with a little foam, but let's not destroy massive amounts of life. On that morose note, let's go back to our interview with Richard Webster. 
I find it interesting that there's a lot of ancient Eastern knowledge that gets co-opted into Western perspective. Yes. And then brought back. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of people in Hong Kong going to yoga classes being taught by people from America who believe them to be ancient Indian practices, whereas I think a lot of it is stuff that developed in California. Yes. But the, you know, it's this weird cycle that's going on. It's just like you said that all the Indians are reading palmistry books written from England. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. What happened to the old uh, oral traditions? I don't know what happened to them in, in India. Um, I, they, they, at some stage, they taught the gypsies who completely destroyed it and travelled across Europe. Um, you know, cross my hand, part my palm with silver, and I'll read. I'll read your palm. Actually, I, when I was living in Cornwall in England, gypsies arrived at the little village I was at one one evening, and they were it was on the edge of a moor, Bodmin Moor, and they camped up there for a few days to get everyone's anticipation rising. And uh, after a few days, they came down to the town, and the men would do odd jobs, and uh, the women went door to door, selling pegs and doing palm readings. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to be home when they, they arrived at the house I was at, and my landlady had her palm read. It was two and sixpence because this is going back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And um, she started to read her palm. I didn't let on that I knew anything about the subject whatsoever. And she started reading a palm and weaving a story, and it got more and more and more exciting. Then all of a sudden she closed her palm, and my landlady said, what, what happens next? And the, the gypsy said, well, it's continued on the other hand. That's another two and six. There you go. <laughs> so things like that actually, it's, fun, it's funny, but uh, they don't actually help palmistry at all. Right. I, um, I've had, I've told similar versions of, of, of that uh, kind of story in the sense of doing a, a palm reading. And people ask, um, well, it doesn't matter which hand, and and the the answer normally is, well, if you've got somebody who is reading both hands, usually they're charging you for the second hand, which is a gypsy practice. <laughs> <laughs> but I've also come across the belief that one hand is your um, what you're born with, and the other hand shows what you've made for yourself, um, which I find interesting. What, what is your take on? I, th- I think hand. I think one hand is what you actually do with your life, and that's your, right. domin- your dominant hand, your right hand, yes. if you're right-handed. And the other hand is what you're thinking about. So you ideally want the hands to be as similar as possible. No one has them exactly the same. No, they don't. Because we can do, we can do all sorts of things in our heads that we can't actually do in real life. But uh, yeah. the sad hands are the ones where they are completely different. And that means someone's yeah. trapped in a loveless marriage. They're doing a job they hate, and they're just going through the motions of life. That's good. I love palmistry. Yes, yes, I, I, I do too. Uh, I, I unfortunately did too many palm readings for too for too long, and I burned myself out totally. So for many years, I just never let on that I was a palmist because. Um, Nowadays, I do admit it and read palms occasionally. 
Well, I can understand that because let's say I'm I'm performing I when I'm booked to perform for a company event. Yes. And I'm booked to usually I I, I have it so that I'm in a, a, a spot, like a I have a table and people come to me. Yes. Instead of instead of like a magician would walk around. Yes. And I'm booked to entertain as many people as possible through uh, uh, it's like a mind reading experience. Yes. But I do get people who want a palm reading. And if I oblige, I now have a line of people who want yes. a palm reading. That's right. And uh, I'm no longer doing what I was booked to do. Yes. So I'll have to say, um, I would love to give you a palm reading. However, I'm not booked today to do that. So I'd have to ask if that's all right. Because yes. what's going to happen is I'm going to end up with a line of ladies and, and a few men who want to have that done. Yes. And it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. And, um, the problem, the other problem is the rate at which palm readers book themselves and the rate at which a uh, mentalist is booked are different. Yes. And um, I get more for doing mentalism than I would as a palm reader. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. And so, yes. So that's one, too bad because. At one stage many years ago, um, I used to do a lot of corporate events doing quick readings um, at the table. And there'd be half a dozen magicians there as well, also doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I wasn't very happy. I would rather be doing magic tricks than doing the palm reading. But then I discovered I was earning twice as much as the magicians. And then after a couple of hours, all the magicians had to go, and I was kept on for another couple of hours. So, um, Right, because they're like, you. there's many people want to have that done. Yes, yes, that's right. So it was good. But uh, performing was uh, much, much more lucrative. I used to yeah. play the piano professionally at one time, and uh, I gave that up because almost everything else I could do was would pay more than playing the piano, wow. un unfortunately. That is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Yes, I haven't touched the piano for about 20 years now. That's too bad. Yes, yes, I'll have, I will have to get back to it, but I'll need to finish this book first, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you have uh, so many pies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I, I say I just live my, by my wits. <laughs> well, I, I believe in that as well. I, I, I have always been of that sort yes. myself. Um, I, people say, what, what is your real job? And I say, um, I'm not sure what you mean. I, <laughs> yes, yes, we are. This is my real lucky. job. Yes, we are. I should uh, thank all of the charms. Yes, that's right. Yes. That I've worn through the years. Cool. How many books have you written? Um, 151, I think, have been published. So, oh, my God. So, um, yes, my first one came out in 1972. So it's uh, been a, a long what process. What was the first, the first book? It, it was called Freedom to Read, and it was a book on censorship. So it was completely different to what I'm writing nowadays. And how long did it, uh, did it take for you to go from Freedom to Read to sort of the types of books that you write now? It took ten, ten, 10 years. And I got into this field totally by accident, really. I wanted to read palms in shopping malls. And because that act was still in place, I couldn't charge for a palm reading. So I had to sell something. So I wrote a little 32-page booklet. And people bought that and got a free palm reading with it. 
So it was sort of just to get around the law. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the palm reading was incredibly popular. And uh, about four weeks later, people would come back wanting another reading, but they wanted another book. So I had to write another little booklet, <laughs> and then another, then another. There were about 30, 30 of these in the end, and it took people longer to choose their booklet than it did to have the reading. Yeah. But that but that got me into the writing. And, um, well, I'd always been writing, but it got me into writing on esoteric types of subjects. And uh, it, it, it grew from there. Sort of the way that I'm writing my pendulum book is just that I, I want to have something to be able to exchange in those kinds of circumstances. Well, I'm a great believer in the back of room sales. You can yeah. often make more money through them than you can from the actual performance. Right. And some of my self-promoted shows, I would have lost money if it hadn't been for the for the books I sold. Sure. Yeah, yeah but it all it all gets everything supports everything. Yes, it does. Never, I never feel bad about working. No, no. Do you have about ten business cards? One, one. No, I have. I have two. Yes. I have a hypnotherapy side and uh, and the performance and side. the mentalism side. Yes, yes. I had about uh, ten card ten cards at one stage, and it was, it was like take a card, any card. <laughs> which which thing are you here for? <laughs> yes, that's right. I actually, and I it's funny. I did this unconsciously, um, but then I when I realized it, I I laughed to myself and thought, this is great. I'm going to keep it. The the card that I use for performance is a black card with a uh, sort of gold foil stamp uh, text. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, uh, handsome and, and uh, woohoo, look at this shiny, yes. shiny text on this black surface. Yes. Um, and the other side is white so I can write stuff on it. Whereas the hypnotherapy card is a white card um, with blue text. Yes. But having them both in in one little card holder, I can open it up and immediately either give them the black card for performance or the white card for hypnotherapy. Yes. And then I realized, oh, look at this. This is my day job and this is my night job. Yes, it actually is. And I didn't even mean to do that. But here's the – do you want the day job or the night job? Isn't that funny? Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, keep everything in balance. Yes, 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 yin and yang. Lately, I have been uh, studying and reading and watching videos and obsessed with sacred geometry. Oh, have you? Yes. Yeah, and where where does it come from? And and you know what does it mean? And and uh, I keep I it started because I've always enjoyed the flower of life. Yes. And I. Started as as one does when they're focused on something, to see it everywhere and see people wearing them. And uh, at uh, there's a, a somebody in Hong Kong is got uh, is making flower of life pendants and earrings and jewelry. And I just keep seeing the same ones more and more. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure everybody knows what they're what they're wearing. No, I'm sure. I'm sure they don't. Um, but they do all seem to understand that it's powerful. Yes. Which I love, and I love that there are these things that people are like, "Yes, this is powerful." And then you can ask, "Okay, well, what's the story? What does it mean?" They have no idea. And in the same token, you can go into a lot of the temples here in Hong Kong. Yes. And people are like, "Yes, this is important, and it's a 
ritual, and then you ask, well, who's that god? And they have no idea. But they believe in the power of it, just yes. for the power of it. it mm-hmm. They understand that other people recognize, and so they're supported. And the power is there, so you might as well worship it because it's powerful. Yes. Which fascinates me. And so I, what I end up wondering is where does these inherent where does this inherent power come from? And the answer that I've found for myself in terms of the flower of life and the seed of life is that it's it's ingrained in us. I think that's right. Yes, I think that must be right. Yes. Yes. And I the the way I support that understanding is that it's sort of you can find it in any culture. You can it, it's popped up so many different places that we must it must be some kind of uh, genetic, you know, we or observational. It's enough in nature that we just end up coming up with it, or maybe it's just simple enough that if you sit and draw circles for a while, you're going to come up with a similar figure. Yes. I don't know, yeah. um, but I I have not come to an understanding of the origin uh, other than uh, uh, Pythagoras and yes, that's right, and things uh, of. How it goes back before that, or what the? I, I'm interested in in what are the most ancient sort of secrets. I always I have been since I was studying art in college. Yes. <coughs> me. Yes. Well, this, the, yes. That's where you first heard of this. I would imagine. Uh, it might have been. I was. I liked going to New Age shops when I was very young. Yes. Um, and there was a shop in my hometown <laughs> that was. Uh, it was a new age shop and a head shop, so you know you could buy, <laughs> you could buy, quote unquote tobacco t- pipes. As yes. They always would say um, that were you know glass and psychedelic in color, and uh, and also tarot cards and books on palm reading and all kinds of different things in these little shop. Yes. And uh, and I loved that shop, and I would, you know, sit there and buy books and tarot cards and try to figure out what that was about. Yes. That's probably where I first came across these things, but I didn't get very deep in it. No, a great deal about sacred geometry, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. But I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it probably began around about the time of Pythagoras, uh, mm-hmm. whether he came up with it or, or whether it was just something that he learned, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. That's 2,600 years ago, so it's a long time ago. It is well, and I think it goes back longer. Yes. I, I um, I love this idea that seems to be growing um, more and more that there is that there's a lot of history before history. Yes. So that there's a lot of um, civilization that we don't know about that goes back before ancient Egypt and before you know six thousand years ago. Yes. And, and we just have no way of getting there because the record does not exist. Because when you go back to ancient Egypt, they have a concept of an ancient time. Yes, they do. Yes. And so I, 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 love, the, I love the sort of interest in, in you know, looking into, well, what was that? And they find all kinds of things. Recently, there was a guy who... Uh, somewhere in Europe unearthed a large stone sphere that, you know, is the oldest stone sphere they found in Europe. And you yes. know, they don't know who made this stone sphere, 
what is what is this ancient civilization that existed before everything that we know? Yes, yes. I love, I love those moments when they when they come to something and go, oh, we really don't know what was <laughs> happening. We might be wrong about what we said. Oh well. Yes, it's good when they have to rewrite history like that, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, maybe it's a par- process of aging, but I love the the understanding that um, whereas it seemed there was a firm grasp on what the past was at one point, I no longer believe that. No. However, when I'm looking, when I sh- shoot my mind into the future, this period of time is so well documented, it's ridiculous. So somebody looking back uh, before the internet and before the digital phone is going to see everything that happened before, you know, 1995 or whatever, as kind of like prehistory. (laughs) Yes, they will, won't they? (laughs) Well, back then they didn't have, they they didn't, all they had to do, they just were writing. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> They're going to be really confused when they find all the tweets, aren't they? Right. <laughs> Such a small amount of information. Yes. That's right. um, when you're working on these, so so your divination book. Yes. Do you already know what the next book is after that one? Um, I know. I normally do. I don't with this one because this is. Uh, I, I normally write a book in about three months, but this is going to be eight or nine months, so I haven't thought that far ahead yet. But uh, what happens is I I meet with my publishers once a year and um, I've got four titles that I'd be keen to write and they've got four titles they would like me to write and then we Mm -hmm. discuss them and uh, we come up with the next four books, which is normally a a year's work. And it pays to look at their books, their their suggestions very carefully because... um, They've got their finger on the pulse of the market, hopefully. No one gets it right all the time. So uh, their ideas of more commercial value often than mine do. Often I want to write a book just because it would be fun to write. But uh, I'm supposedly making my living as a writer, so (laughs) I need to write things that are going to sell a few copies as well. (laughs) Yeah. Do do you still do the hypnotherapy? Yes, yes, I I don't do much now. I I don't do any advertising. I don't have a website. It's it's only word of mouth. And uh, I still do. And uh, I I love doing it because it takes me away from my computer. And uh, uh, it's a great source of ideas. As you you know, people people come for hypnotherapy. They tell you the most amazing things. They do. And and some of them end up in my books. (laughs) Yeah, they 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 often don't realize that they have those amazing stories in them. Mm, that's true. Yes. When you were doing that more regularly, what uh, what worked for you, advertising wise? Oh well, well that was uh, pre pre internet. So uh, a yellow pages ad was all all I needed. Oh wow! Whereas okay. uh, that wouldn't, I don't think that would work at all nowadays. <laughs> yeah, in some senses, if the yellow pages still was a thing it would be easier oh yes it would it most because there's would. not a there's not a direct single source anymore no that's no, true so I, have a, I have a website but you know people have to find the website yes 
and then you have to be on a Google search. But even that is a little skewed now because it searches based on who you are, not based on. I don't, if, don't know what. If someone's looking for a hypnotherapist and they don't know of any, yes, they've got to somehow find you. Right. They have to write in hypnotherapy Hong Kong. Yes. Or talk to somebody and have yeah, it's it's interesting. It's I have to I have to self-generate in some way, but you know, I uh, so I just use uh, magic. Well, I don't want to keep you, um, but this has been great. We should chat again sometime. I'd um, love, love to do this, Joe. It'd be good. I I look forward to seeing this divination book come out. Um, Me too. <laughs> how, how how far away through are you? Um, about a third of the way through it. What is the what is the subject you've learned the most on? You mean learned for the book? Yeah, like what's the new discovery that you've found? Is, is or if there is such a thing? I, mean, yeah, I haven't, you know I haven't actually subject. so far made any new discoveries. Mind you, mind you, I'm, I'm writing all the stuff that I already know because it's easiest. Right, I can just sit down and do it. There's no, you know, there's no research required. So, yeah. um, actually, looking at my list here, oh, um, I'm going to be doing Hannah Fuda, and uh, I, I, I don't know much about that. I don't know if I'll do Mahjong readings. That's not on my list. I may include that. But again, I don't know anything about that. So, yeah, so if, if they get included, I'll, I'll have, obviously have to research those. So, you're do, are you doing runes? Yes. That's an interesting topic. It, it is, yes. I'll have to do some research for the runes, but I know I know enough to, you know, I could probably yeah. write a short chapter on runes, but to, to make it a decent thing, I'd have to do research for that. Yeah. I I did a deep sort of intensive on, on rune readings, and uh, I find it amazing. Yes. Um, however, the people that I know that use rune magic don't use it for readings normally. They use it for protection. Yes. Yes, I've not. <coughs> Which I learned by going to Sweden, but that's <laughs> um, it's been great, and and thank you for making the time for this to happen, and um, I look forward to to meeting you someday. Yes, me, me too. If I come through Hong Kong, I will certainly let you know. Please do. Yeah. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Bye. 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 And that brings us to the end of episode 12 of Mysterious World. Thank you for joining us and listening through. If you're enjoying the show, you can make donations on the website, mysteriousworldpodcast.com. Send us a little cash to keep this thing going. My thanks, deepest thanks go out to Zach Burkowski for being our first person to sign up for a repeated uh, funding uh, donations and also for shooting in a, a, a big... Uh, initiary donation thank you zach you are a wonderful support to a lot of things that i do and i it's deeply appreciated i hope you all have a wonderful may it's now may i just began this thing it wasn't may yet uh, i will actually very soon have the next episode up so this will start being a faster production uh, i'm sorry this took so long to get out um it just got busy and I haven't had the time to sit here and, and spend time at the microphone, which is a place I very much like to be.
My thanks again to Richard Webster for joining us in this interview. And uh, please take a look at his books. They're all fantastic. I've been enjoying his book on both palm reading and pendulums since I recorded the interview. Thanks again. Enjoy May. Happy spring. And keep the mystery alive. Happy spring.